Hello, and welcome to the 12th edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. This is Lisa Gonzalez with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance and a writer from uninetworks.org. In this edition, Christopher Mitchell interviews Todd Murren, the director of SpringNet, serving businesses in Springfield, Missouri with a high-capacity fiber network. Todd tells a little about the history of SpringNet, including how legislative changes in Missouri set a course for the network to serve local businesses. Todd also talks about economic development in SpringNet and how the network helped ensure 400 local jobs from travel giant Expedia. At the time, a national carrier couldn't follow through with promises. Here are Chris and Todd. Uh, Welcome, Todd Murren, uh, director of SpringNet. We're really excited to have you on the show today. Thank you. I appreciate uh, the opportunity. You are the director of SpringNet, which is offering uh, broadband uh, internet connection type services in Missouri. Can you tell us a little bit about your city and uh, the area around it? Certainly, certainly. We're located in southwest Missouri, a, a diversified economy, strong entrepreneurial spirit, heavy in education and medical. We're a Midwest city, so you have that Midwest thought process in a very strong chamber, uh, and that all lends very well to a very progressive, innovative community. And about how many people are in Springfield? Um, about 150,000 at the Springfield proper. They're bedroom communities, and if you include those, which, and this is a good point, uh, this is slightly different than other municipal utilities. We actually have a service territory that is outside of the municipal incorporated area, outside of the city limits of Springfield, Missouri. Uh, So so then you're looking at a population of around 200,000. Uh, okay, right. We see that similarly with some uh, a few municipal networks, um, Cedar Falls in Iowa, oh, uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Yeah, so it's it's not uh, it's it's rare it seems, but it's certainly not uh, totally uh, out of the ordinary. Um, so, can you tell us a little bit about how SpringNet got started? I'd be happy to. Um, we SpringNet City Utilities, City Utilities of Springfield, Missouri, is the is the utility. Um, really started in some very simple applications. Um, it started with serving our own needs. We, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I was here in 1986, and it was an experiment. Let's put some fiber up. Let's see if this is if this is real or if this is smoke and magic, um, and let's try it between a couple of our locations. So we put it up in 1987. It worked flawlessly. Now, we're not talking gigabits per second. We're talking substation relaying. Think of it as a light switch. Is the relay open or is the relay closed? Very, very simple needs, but it's fiber. It doesn't conduct electricity, which when you're going in and out of a substation, is very, very important. And we may cast it in a simple term and go, yeah, you know, Kelly, how hard is that? It's a light switch. i got news for you. Relaying in a substation determines whether that relay is open or closed depends on whether thousands of people are without electricity or not. So, yes, it's a one or a zero in a binary world, but there's a big difference between that. Very important to us. That's how we started. We tried it. It wasn't smoke 
and magic and mirrors. It was real. It was a disruptive from a communications technology. We were beginning to get the glimpse of how disruptive it was. I'll, I'll, I'll open it up to the next element that we learned in the early 90s. This is a great conductor for communications. It's expandable. It stretches. It's like a rubber band. In other words, yesterday it was a one or a zero for relaying. Now, wait a minute, we're going to run fiber out to this customer service operation. And in those days, I need a two or three T1s to carry voice conversation. I didn't have to do anything to the fiber. We upgrade the electronics on both ends of it. What would our electric, gas, and water worlds be like if we could install that water line underground? And today it only needs to be a 3-inch main, hmm. but in a year and a half it needs to be a 12-inch main. We just put some stuff on the, end of the, on the end of the pipe and poof, it's a 12-inch main. So you're laying the, you're using the same fiber, and just over time, you're able to do so much more with it uh, yeah. without having to really dig up the streets again or anything like that. That original 1987 fiber that was communicating a one and a zero, off or on, today has is carrying 10 gigabits per second. That's incredible. That is incredible. It's mind-boggling, and and that's the disruptive. You know, as the world is transitioned to digital, um, it's the, uh, and it's not something that wireless is going to replace because you can't argue with physics. We have a limited amount of spectrum, and it's a wonderful thing because it allows us all to be mobile. But it's a it's a finite resource. It's spectrum, and you rest assured because we're seeing it today. The minute you collect enough at a collection point of wireless antenna attachment, it immediately goes to a wired network, and that wired network is fiber. Let's uh, fast forward to 1996-ish, right? You've, you have fiber all over the city at this point for your utility needs, and suddenly the federal law changes, and you have the, the ability to uh, potentially serve others. 1996-1997 really cast the role that we were going to play in this community. And, you know, over time, that's the benefit of, of having time looking back on it. You could go, well, that was that was a it was a good thing. It was it was a bad thing at that time. But, but I'll, I'll shed a little light on how possibly it was a very good thing because the the world of communications in 1996 and 7 is certainly not the world that we have today. So, 1996, you're correct. Everything changes. Um, the uh, the local uh, telecommunications monopoly is now deregulated, and it's an opportunity for others to get into that business. Um, the natural thought that would be electric utilities, whether they're investor, co-op, or muni, because all of the same resources are present in those communities. People, trucks, poles, access to railway, knowledge and outside plant. But as we found out, um, you know, there's a, 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 when you take a, a monopoly industry and you transform it, there's a lot of, lot of uh, 
strings that get pulled maybe is a great way to say that but so for us we mm-hmm. went to we went to the uh, the FCC and we posed the question um and and I am I am condensing this tremendously okay and the FCC came back right. and said you know uh we believe that you do you can should and do play a role in this with the with the Telecommunications Act of 1996 uh we got a difference of opinion at a different FCC court now we've got the judicial involved and the and the court case itself went all the way to the United States Supreme Court with with Jim Ballard who did a marvelous job for us the interesting thing to note through all of that is is we we touched on two elements at a federal level. We touched on the regulatory body for us, the FCC, and we certainly touched on the judicial side. And what they clearly, in my opinion, as a non-lawyer, said, this is a state and a local issue. But let me tell you what we think. For the good of the nation, you really need to do these things. You need to make your public rights of way accessible. You need to develop this. But that is the rights of states. And and so it came with a pretty mm-hmm. heavy-handed, this is what we think would be good for the nation, but it is your call, states. So out of almost immediately, in relatively term, relative terms, uh, there was legislation presented in our state capital that uh, was very restrictive. I compare it to getting permission to be an electric utility, but you can only provide electricity to the to the iron, the can opener, and the refrigerator. Okay, now how successful in a business am I going to be? Because ultimately you still have to be a business. You can't you have to produce revenue and you have to be profitable. Okay, if I've got all of the electrical infrastructure in place transmission, distribution, substations, transformation to provide electricity to the home. At the very end, I can only capture about 10% of the load in the house. You're destined to be doomed. Mm -hmm. At the very end of that law, was signed by the governor, um, it said, oh, yeah, and you can do Internet-type services. Really? Well, in 1997, what does that mean? People don't realize just how different it was. You know, we've all become so used to how the Internet's uh, turned, what it's turned into. But in 1997, it was dial-up. Images were a new thing. I mean, it was um, it was a totally different Internet, and there was no, no predestiny that it was going to end up this way. Exactly. And, and, you know, we're heavily influenced by, and we always are. I mean, it's it's not... Perception creates reality, and, and I can remember back then Jim and I doing some presentations, and I had this slide, and we had, you know, over on the left, we had one 800-pound gorilla called the cable TV industry, mm-hmm. and they were doing their thing, and it was and it was video, one-way distribution, you know, video, and over on the right-hand side, we had the 800-pound gorilla called the telephone company, and it was private line TDM stuff and dial tone. And these two 800-pound gorillas were running toward one another, and it was that cloud in the middle called the Internet. And, okay, so fast forward to 2012, 
now look at it, both of those industries are heading right toward internet transport. That's that's their focus now. Well, in 1997, yeah, internet type, that's fine. Because at that time, well, that's just dial-up. Yeah, you can be an ISP, buy all your phone lines from us, and uh, you just knock yourself out. Well, we, um, and there were some restrictions that um, didn't allow us, and, and this is important, and this is what separates us from a lot of our other brethren out there. Can't serve residential. Well, wait a minute. When I'm a municipal utility, mm -hmm. that's what I do. I mean, you serve your entire community with electric, gas, and water. What do you mean I can't serve my – I can't get into the residential business? But we couldn't. So that meant focus on the business, which hindsight um, – well, looking at that law in hindsight, and this is going to sound strange, probably was a very good thing for us. Because you know what it did? It put us about 10 years ahead of our competition. In the market that we were allowed to compete in, the business sector, you forced us to look at things and to predict into the future. And now let me, let me translate that. In 1999, we took our fiber optic cable plant and we said, you know what? This T1s and T3s and OCs, we're not very cost effective there. Let's do Ethernet. And in January, we ordered the stuff, we ordered, inter we ordered Ethernet equipment in Thanksgiving of 1997. We got it in January and we started to put it in. We put it in boxes and hung it on poles. And we got within blocks of the customer with, at that point, 10 megabit and 100 megabit connectivity within the business customer. And so just briefly, why is Ethernet important? Number one, at the time, it was less capital intensive than going out and buying the phone company, Sonnet nodes, OC12s, OC, and all of that. And... We brought to the business community the only market that we were allowed to serve, and that is still the case today, Ethernet. When you bring a new product to a, to a market, the business community for us, that is completely new, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a long sale, if you will. And I can recall one of the conversations we were having at that time with one of our, you know, at that point, a small, um, a young firm, one of the gentlemen goes, he goes, I get it. This is like an Ethernet extension cord for me. And I'm like, that is precisely what it is. Do you need to connect with somebody else across town, or do you need to connect with the Internet? It is the technology that you understand. It's Ethernet. And we did that in January of 2000, and this is 2012, and you're just now in some areas seeing the phone companies and the cable companies offer Metro Ethernet services. The, uh, the law, the legislation in that effort kind of put us in the driver's seat here. It's a great sign that, that a bad law um, doesn't end anything, that uh, creative cities can still make important investments by figuring out what, what avenues are still available to them and not giving up. 
yes, you have to have the desire. You have to have the desire to make your community attractive. Um, it is serving us very well right now. I mean, we're uh, much like Lafayette and, and Chattanooga. We're we upgraded the network. You know that same fiber that we put up in 1987 now is carrying one and ten gigabit per second links. We upgraded to 10 gig. All of our customers, our customer-facing interface, is a thousand megabits, one gigabit. And the interesting thing about that is, so you go to a, you go to a, a customer, and you go, you know, what are your needs? Do you, you know, and essentially we have two flavors of ice cream, if you will. I'm I'm drawing some very simple pictures here. Mm -hmm. Do you need to be connected to the internet? And we can talk about that. Or do you need private network or VLAN connections across town or across the state or to other like businesses or things you share across your, quote, enterprise network? We don't need to talk about, well, what's the circuit speeds? What do you need? You know, if, if you go to the customer and they go, well, you know, my applications guy say, they say, we really need, uh, we really need 33 megabits a second. Okay, fine. We're running fiber to your business. Any any limitations there with bandwidth? None whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Then we have to do the electrical to optical conversion, and we do that. Of course, we're Ethernet all the way. So Ethernet comes in very convenient packages. One is a very old package, 10 megabits a second, 100 megabits a second, or a gigabit. Well, today, that electrical to optical conversion is a gigabit a second. Any limitations there? Well, I guess a gigabit, but, <laughs> you know, okay, let's just go with that. So there you go. No limitations there. It's, you need 33 megabits. Great. That's what we'll sign you up for, 33 megabits. Now, let's have another discussion. Because when you're doing that presentation, and, yeah, you need 33 megabits, except next Wednesday when I'm doing that presentation or I'm uploading or I've got a very important client, it's probably going to be 51 megabits. Dude, I don't care. It's okay. There is nothing coded in there that is going to stop you at 33 megabits. Our services are burstable. It's bits per second. If, if I don't need that capacity on the network for this next second, of course you can use it. Mm -hmm. If it helps you, go for it. And and that's been a real thought process, a very disruptive or transformative thought process for a business community, but they get it now. Right. And what you've done is you've turned a, a market that's been defined by the big carriers in terms of scarcity and turned it into abundance. Exactly. And it's tremendous for businesses. Make it, and, and that's what's going on in Kansas City and Chattanooga. It's like, look, here is here's here's a gig. No, we're not going to talk about a scarcity of reason. Here's a gig. See what you can do with it. And my uh, uh, network architectural manager, I mean, he's got a great line. What will people? What do people do with a gig when you give it to them? They figure out how to use it. Right. And uh, you know, we started in 2000, and it was a one gigabit core backbone. And today, it's 10 gigabit. So let's talk a little bit about what the result has been for uh, the community. Have you seen new jobs? Have you seen more businesses moving in? Have you um, heard any uh, quotes or anecdotes from them about how your services help? Yes. 
um, we're, we have at City Utilities, we have an economic development department, and we certainly are plugged in with them and, and promote the connectivity because the fact of the matter is broadband connectivity in a community is a utility. And I happen to think it best fits in a municipal utility because the business customers that they talk to, they go, hey, look, I, I want it to be priced fairly, and I want it to be like that light switch. When I walk up to it, I never wonder if I'm going to flip it up and the lights are not going to go on. I have that expectation, and that you've just described a utility service. Right. When you can when you can communicate to future uh, possible businesses that are looking at different areas of community, or if you can communicate to your existing businesses and go, that is exactly precisely what we're talking about. It's priced fairly, and it's a utility grade service. Man, that's all we know how to do. I don't have different grade. I don't have silver, gold, and plastic electric service, you get the same engineering expertise, you get the same expectation for services, regardless of what size of customer you are. Right. I've actually been saying that. I don't I don't pay my electricity provider based on the number of light bulbs I expect to use. Right. You know, like I'm, I don't pay so that I can run my, um, you know, I don't pay one tier so I can run a dishwasher and a second tier so I can run a dryer. Exactly. And, and, and that... That bodes very well with whichever, whoever your market is. That's what they like to hear because everybody's world, it's a, it's a very connected world. I don't care if you make mufflers or, or paper clips. You're going to need connectivity for your business processes to communicate to your employees, to communicate to your customers. We work all the time. I like the flexibility of being able to work when I need to work and wherever I need to work, and that requires me to have mobility, and that requires me to have connectivity, and it gets the work done when the work needs to be done. And that, I mean, it's not the desk with the black phone, and that's where you get your work done anymore, Mm -hmm. and that necessitates connectivity. But no, we've got probably the best story we have, Expedia. Okay. Our very first customer on our Ethernet network happened to be a little bitty company called Travel Now. A couple of individuals here, very smart, young entrepreneurs, and they bought our service, and they grew, and they went public, and then Expedia bought them, and they left town. Ouch. Well, that kind of hurt. Right. Went to Dallas. Guess who came back <laughs> three years ago? And they were needing the kind of connectivity. They were needing a 1,000 megabit of connectivity to their new customer location. And, and, you know, I don't know if there was any – I don't know if some of that history put Springfield, Missouri on the map for them to go, hey, you know what, let's go there and check. The entire community came together, large corporations – and believe me, Expedia, that's that's one of them. Large corporations, they have national contracts with the national carriers. Right. So first time around the block when they considered, 
everything was promised to them, yes, we'll do exactly what you need, and I'm going to leave the name of the carrier out because that's not how we play the game, and fine, the deal was done. They're moving 400 jobs at that time. Here's our due date. We need here, here, here. And that carrier let them down. The carrier said, I'm sorry. I'm not going to be able to get that. It's going to be 60 days out farther. Mm-hmm. Expedia came back to us and said, this is what we need. Can you do it? Absolutely. We did it. They haven't left. There were 400 jobs starting. There are 800 or 1,000 jobs today. You know, it's it's amazing. We've heard that a number of times, um, similar versions, um, where a, uh, a national major company will make a promise to have a service ready for a business. And whoever makes that promise, you know, they don't know. This is a company of, of 30,000 people, 50,000 people. And so they just make a promise not knowing that on the ground they can't deliver that promise. Um, and so we see communities swooping in to to, to make good on those um, failed promises from big carriers. You know that that old, that old adage that a chain is not any stronger than the weakest link. You know when you have a when you have a large corporation or any corporate any business moving into your community or expanding in your community, it doesn't matter if the connectivity failed five and a half feet outside of their building or the fiber optic link between L.A. and Chicago. The fact of the matter is it's broke. But most of the time, it's it's the local mm-hmm. side that is, is the tapered portion of the funnel. And when you have municipals that are, yes, it takes a certain degree of aggressive, but they want, they're committed to the community, you remove that and you give that personal touch because you're out there, we're out there talking with Expedia. Remember, we're the electric gas, and water utility. i got news for you. That building also gets those three services from city utilities as well. There are people relationships. The value to Springfield, Missouri, is that a local, locally-based broadband provider is of great value to all of your businesses, not just your huge businesses, to all of them, small entrepreneurial startups, your education, you know, most of your higher education are looking at online. Look at look at the health industry. Yes, you do have your large larger established businesses, but even their their bandwidth needs and their connectivity and their next generation kinds of Ethernet requirements. A, a broadband play for a, a local community serves everybody very, very well. And you could go, well, Todd, that's great, but you don't serve at home, and that's where. But we local, we locally peer as much as we can with the local cable company. So when that hospital employee goes home and does some work from home, that that communication back and forth between their home and the hospital that's here. It's peered locally here. It doesn't take off and go to Chicago and then go through another router and then turn back come. And that makes our community work. The whole community network movement um, should be grateful. Um, You know, you took this case all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court got it wrong, which is disappointing. But uh, it's really important that we have people that are willing to fight. 
and to not just uh you know give up after losing in a state court or to to say you know we don't want to deal with the legal challenges uh so just you know from my point of view we want to say thank you for um for sticking it out well a lot of that thanks goes to Jim Bauer i mean he, he was a, that was a very tumultuous time and you know we got we got dealt some some blows that didn't feel particularly well but when you work for community we have focus uh, and that's where the larger providers, cable and telephone companies, they don't share that same focus. When they roll something out, it's got to fit from sea to shining sea, and we're all slightly different. Right, and and I should actually absolutely include Jim Baller in that. Jim Baller has been an incredible ally, and uh, and yeah. without him, I don't know where um, my work would be. So. Um, so I'm really glad to have you on the show and to uh, enlighten sure. some um, some of our more recent uh, community network fans um, as to some of the history. Well, thanks for reaching out to me. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. That was Todd Murren, director of SpringNet in Springfield, Missouri. To find out more, visit our show page on muninetworks.org or visit SpringNet directly at springnet.net. If you have comments or questions, please contact us at podcast at muninetworks.org. Our handle on Twitter is at Community Nets. This show was released on September 11, 2012. Thanks again to Fit in the Conniptions for their music licensed using Creative Commons. The title of the song is Spellbound. Spellbound.